everyone. I'm Dominique. And I'm Heidi. Welcome to More Grats. We're glad you decided to waste some time with us. Hey, so someone from my past reached out about, they came across our podcast and um, we, this person and I met um, 40 years ago. Oh my gosh. I know. And Anyway, Francis, thank you so much for reaching out, and it was nice to get reconnected. And in a different country, too. In a different country. He's from Canada. Yeah. yeah. So it was really, really, really nice to catch up on family and old memories, and, you know, it's just really, really cool. Yeah. 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 Good thing so. that you're a woman, because if you were a man and someone from your past reached out, you'd be like, oh, you have a 40-year-old kid you didn't know about. Yeah, I know. <laughs> really. Thank God for that. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it was really nice. And thanks for listening, Francis. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll talk again soon. Well, um, so you were talking about how I'm in such a pissy mood. Yeah. I'm still in a pissy mood. I know. I can tell. You know why? Not now. <laughs> well, I'm over the van. Okay. This is because you are going on vacation again. Some people like to leave their house once in a while, especially go chase some sunshine in the middle of a dreary winter. Ugh, I just don't see how you, I, I just don't get the leaving the house. <laughs> <laughs> you should try it sometime. <laughs> well, you are seeing our brother, the one we like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm actually getting on an airplane so that I can see this brother. So, yes, and he yes. happens to live in Hawaii. So that doesn't suck that's nice nice chris we love you too we just are like to mess with you yeah yeah so anyway and you don't live in hawaii right <laughs> right right <laughs> well have a good trip oh I'll miss you again i'm glad it's not for a month this time i know but well, still... won't be very long i'll miss you i wish you would come yeah no that's not gonna happen <laughs> i know i don't even you know what i don't even invite her anymore <laughs> i still like to be invited I'm i one get of those. tired of the rejection uh-huh. All right. Well, whatever. Okay. Well, before we start, we want to remind you we are talking about death. If you are easily offended by rude humor or foul language or are particularly sensitive to discussions about death, you may want to pass on this podcast. We are wildly inappropriate at times, but that comes directly from growing up in a funeral home. The way we insulate ourselves is by humor. And for us, it's a lot better to laugh even when you feel like crying. So, Heidi, have I ever told you about that one worst dream I ever had? It's the one with the casket. Mm, I don't think so. What was it? Well, I had this dream not long after Derek and I got in the funeral business. We were um, conducting a service for a man, and it was the end of the funeral, you know, where people come up to the casket to view the body one last time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm standing up by the casket watching people come up to pay their final respects, and the guy in the casket is still alive. <laughs> He's laying there and he's greeting everybody who comes up like, thanks for coming. And you've been a really good friend. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then we go to close the casket and his hand shoots up like to stop us. And then he, yeah, he nods his head and kind of takes a deep breath. And then he, he says, okay, I'm ready. And we close the casket and bury him. Oh my God. I know. I know. <laughs> that is unsettling. That like to me for weeks and I still get the creeps. Oh, because it probably just seemed like so real. It was so real. I mean, really, it, it, it still gives me the creeps and I can still vividly see the dream. It, it's horrible. It was a bad, bad, bad dream. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm not sure what sparked that dream, but it could be because I know people have gotten buried alive. There have even been close, call, close calls of people getting 
uh, cases of people getting cremated alive and close calls of people being embalmed and autopsied alive. Oh, yikes. I can't even imagine. I mean, <laughs> I guess I realized that that could happen like in the olden days or something, but nowadays? Ugh. I know. It's rare, but there have been instances. You want to talk about it? Of course I do. <laughs> All right. Well, today our death story is about people who went to their graves while still alive. And our funeral home story tells of the time the undertaker responded to a false alarm. I don't think there's anything especially triggering in this episode, but what do I know? Well, as always, listener discretion is advised. That said, welcome to episode 37. Wait, wait! wait, wait I'm, I'm not, not dead! <laughs> well, if you ask anyone who works in the death care industry, most of them will tell you they have either experienced themselves or have had a colleague who has experienced a false alarm, meaning a person was pronounced dead when they were still alive. As shocking as this can be, the mistake is usually discovered quickly. Quickly. <laughs> Quickly. Rarely does a live person end up in the ground or on the autopsy table or in the crematory queue. But this hasn't always been the case. Back when doctors didn't have to pronounce a death or when contagious diseases decimated villages, which led to hasty burials, it's safe to assume that lots of people have been buried alive. But with increasing medical knowledge and a little more common sense, we would like to think we are certain a person is really dead before we bury them in the ground or put them in a cremator or start carving them into them with a scalpel. One of the most famous cases of somebody being buried alive occurred in 1937. Now, I know that seems like a long time ago, but consider this. Airships like the Hindenburg were flying around. The Golden Gate Bridge opened. The first jet engines were being tested. The 999 emergency telephone system was operating in the United Kingdom. And our dad was five years old. We certainly shouldn't be burying people alive by this point. But that's just what happened to Angelo Hayes, a French man who was known as the motorcycle guy around town. Angelo rode his motorcycle everywhere, and maybe not all that cautiously because one day he wrecked right into a brick wall. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> Doctors on scene could not find a pulse and declared Angelo dead. To add insult to injury, the accident battered poor Angelo, leaving his face so badly mangled his parents could not even view his body. With heavy hearts, the grieving parents laid their son to rest, meaning they put him in the ground. It just so happens that Angelo's father had taken out a pretty hefty life insurance policy on his son, and the insurance company became suspicious. To protect their interests, the company sent out some investigators to make sure there was no foul play in Angelo's death. But Angelo was already buried, so what were they to do? Dig, Dig him up, of course! course. <laughs> Easy! Duh! <laughs> The parents did not want their son disturbed and requested the body remain buried, and that made them look all the more suspicious. The insurance company won that battle and Angelo's coffin was exhumed. While doctors examined the corpse, they were shocked to find Angelo still warm and breathing. He had been in a deep coma, which lessened the body's need for oxygen, which is how he survived for two days underground. Two days. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> I would have died of fright. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And have a heart attack. Forget the lack of oxygen. Mm -hmm. Well, needless to say, his parents, once looked upon as murder suspects, were overjoyed. Angelo Hayes went on to become something of a celebrity after this. 
He invented a coffin where a person could live up to 30 hours, and it included a food locker, oxygen supply, chemical toilet, and alarm bells. <laughs> How? How did it get all that stuff in there? Oh, well, anyway. <laughs> Angelo toured with his invention and lived a long life, eventually dying in 2008. Well, when it's not your time, it's not your time, I guess. Yeah. Jeez. Well, another near disaster happened in 2020 when 20-year-old Tamisha Beecham ended up on a Michigan funeral home's embalming table. Luckily for Tamisha, the embalmer was not quick with the scalpel. If you listen to our embalming episode, you'll remember that part of the embalming process is slicing into arteries and veins. Once an artery is cut, you're pretty much dead. You would likely bleed to death before medical intervention could get to you. This did not happen to Tamisha, but she came a little too close for comfort to being embalmed alive. Tamisha had cerebral palsy and family members cared for her in her home. One of the relatives went to give Tamisha her medication and noticed she was unresponsive and appeared not to be breathing. The relative immediately called 911 and paramedics arrived within minutes. They performed resuscitative measures on Tamisha, but after 30 minutes, they gave up. The paramedics called a hospital and spoke with a doctor detailing the situation and subsequent death. The doctor did not come out to pronounce the death and because of Tamisha's health history, did not order further medical investigation. Though the paramedics pronounced the death via the doctor, family members disagreed. They insisted Tamisha was still breathing. Well, the paramedics told them this was just post-mortem effects of the medication they had used and Tamisha was not breathing by her own volition. Begrudgingly, the family accepted this and called a funeral home to collect Tamisha's body. Funeral home personnel came and wrapped the body in a sheet, placed it in a body bag and drove it to the funeral home. Once in the prep room, an embalmer unzipped the bag and unwrapped the sheet, and then probably shit their pants. (laughs) Tamisha had her eyes open and she was gasping for air. It's a good thing, too, because had Tamisha still been in that unresponsive state, the embalmer would have cut into her neck and been saturated with arterial spray. Can you even imagine thinking someone's dead and then cutting into them and they bleed all over you? Oh my God. Well, you'd kill them. I mean, we used to get a trade magazine and it had all the dirt on funeral homes and cemeteries, kind of like a national Enquirer of the funeral business. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't wait for that, for that, the next issue to get there. But anyway, there was an article where an embalmer, this was in another country, but um, he made an incision in a person's artery and they sprayed all over him. And they, so they knew he was, the person was alive, you know? Well, the person died, of course, and the embalmer quit the funeral biz. I wanted to find that article, but it was, the the magazine's no longer in circulation and it's been such a long time. I couldn't find the, I couldn't find the magazine. Anyway, Tamisha died about six weeks later from an anoxic brain injury, possibly due to not receiving the medical help she needed and being zipped in a body bag probably didn't help. Well, while Tamisha was spared the scalpel, the person in our next case did not. This wasn't going to be an embalming, however. This person was on an autopsy table, ready to get flayed open. (laughs) We should probably do an episode on autopsies. They are very interesting. Yes, we probably should. I'm sure most of you know, but autopsies are gruesome. Forget about what they do to your head. Let's just focus on the torso. The medical examiner cuts you with what they call the Y incision. And that's exactly what it sounds like. They start at one shoulder and cut downward to your breastbone, then the other shoulder to the breastbone. Then they cut down in a straight line towards your navel. 
Then they peel back the skin, fat, and muscle until your rib cage is exposed. Well, they've got to get to your organs somehow, so they take loppers, which are exactly like the loppers you would use to trim branches from a tree, and they cut the breastplate out. Anyway, it's not something you'd want to be alive for. But for Carlos Camejo, this nightmare almost became reality. Carlos was in a vehicular accident on a Venezuelan highway. Emergency workers pronounced him dead and sent him to the morgue for an autopsy. As medical examiners began their bodily investigation, Carlos looked like any other dead guy. But when they made their incision, it became clear Carlos wasn't any other dead guy. He wasn't a dead guy at all. He started bleeding when they made the cut. Dead people do not actively bleed. No. (laughs) The doctor quickly sewed the incision shut. Then instead of getting help, they moved him to the corridor and left him there. Meanwhile, Carlos's distraught wife arrived at the hospital to identify her husband's body. She was shocked to find him in the hallway, very much alive. Oh my God, can you imagine? <gasps> You'd be happy and mad all the time. I mean, happy, <laughs> happy there. Well, hopefully she was happy. <laughs> you never know. Right, right. And I will say that with an autopsy, it's cutting in, it's not cutting into the vein like where you have to put the cannula to um, preserve the chemicals you just cut into the skin so they would know because he would bleed so not like he would have a he didn't kill him like the funeral director killed killed the the other one no didn't kill him like the funeral yeah oh gosh well that traumatizing oh to say the least yes oh my gosh and there's not very much information on that um on that case you know so it's you just dig in a little bit and then it leads to nowhere. So anyway, well, that turned out better than this last case. You can stitch up a cut, but once you're on the funeral pyre, you usually can't come back from that. For those of you who don't know, a funeral pyre is a structure made from wood that a body is placed upon for cremation. Sometimes this is called open air cremation because it takes place outside, not in a crematorium. You're right. There's usually no coming back once it's lit and Rachna Sisodia did not. Originally, Rachna had been pronounced dead at a hospital in India. Her death was caused by cardiorespiratory arrest and acute respiratory distress syndrome due to a lung infection. Her husband quickly arranged for his wife's body to be cremated, as was custom. So they built the pyre, put Rachna's body on it, and lit it up. Not far into the cremation, a bystander shouted that Rachna was alive, so they frantically pulled her from the pyre. Efforts to save her were in vain. Everyone hoped the false alarm was a false alarm, but the postmortem examination showed Rachna had soot and ash in her airway and lungs. A person has to be breathing for that to happen, so Rachna was alive during her cremation. Oh my gosh, that's bad. <laughs> this wow. is so bad. Yeah, well, you know, it's because of cases like this that some people have a directive in their final arrangements to wait two or three days before anything is done with their body. Right, yeah. Uh, throughout our years in the funeral business, we've had dozens of requests that we hold a body for a few days just to make sure. Well, it sounded like a pretty good yeah, plan. I think so too. <laughs> I think so too. <laughs> you know, I was talking to my husband and we always talk about stuff like this about you know cremation or burial and well, it's good because you grew up in a funeral exactly home. <laughs> and and i mean i've made my my wishes known i mm-hmm. definitely want to be cremated mm-hmm. and i remind him of that mm-hmm. you know every so often it's like okay you know i want to be cremated he made an appointment for next week <laughs> <laughs> no but seriously like you want you want to be cremated too right well yeah it's my last chance for a smoking hot body <laughs> 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 <Da-dum-dum>. <laughs> Oh, well, anyway, 
hopefully nobody has experiences with that because that is truly awful truly awful to think you're dead and yeah and not be god jeez well deep sleeper yeah right Oh, never mind. I was going to say something, but I don't want this episode to be that long. So we'll leave it for another time. (laughs) Anyway, are you ready for our funeral home story? You know I am. All right. Mr. Jones gazed at his wife and his heart hurt. For 30 years, they had been married and never once had he ever thought about leaving her until right now. Their vows to stick together in sickness and in health were so easy to make on their wedding day, but now Mr. Jones had to live them and make good on his promise. He'd always figured she would be the one caring for him, ruining the day she made that vow as she watched him wither with a disease for which there was no cure. In his mind, that's how it would go. He was older than her, so it only made sense he would die first. But fate had dealt them a cruel blow, so here she was, bedridden, a shell of her former former self. Mr. Jones didn't know who got the worst end of this deal, his wife for going through the disease or him having to witness her decline. He ran his palm over her pale forehead, then dragged his fingers through her thinning hair. She didn't stir, and the only thing that let him know she was still alive was the tiny pulse at her neck. In a vein so blue and prominent, it seemed the vessel itself tried to escape a sickly body which held everything prisoner. For a split second, he thought about fleeing. He couldn't bear to watch her suffer any longer. If he ran, he could be away from all of this. And suddenly, something happened. A voice, not a physical voice, but some declaration he could not explain, came to him and instantly all seemed calm. Inside his head, Mr. Jones clearly heard, Very soon, this will all be over. In that moment, he felt peace, something he hadn't felt since his wife's diagnosis. So, he kissed her face and wrapped her frail body in his arms. I love you, darling, he whispered, till death do us part. The undertaker awoke to the shrill ring of the phone. He glanced at the clock while his wife turned over and pulled a pillow around her ears. He cleared his throat and answered, Acme Funeral Home. Hello, this is Kathy, and I'm a nurse with Valley Hospice, said the wide-awake voice on the other end. I have a family requesting your services. The undertaker opened a drawer on his nightstand and pulled out a pen and pad of paper. He jotted the name of the deceased and the address. Um, what's the time of death, he asked. Well, the husband says 2 a.m., but I'll head to the home now and make the official call. The undertaker furrowed his brow. You mean you're not there? How do you know? Well, this death has been expected for weeks. She was actively dying this morning when I visited. The nurse's voice took on a defensive tone. And to be perfectly honest, the house is out in the sticks. I don't want to go out there, pronounce a death I know has occurred, then wait for you to come get her. Kathy sighed and with a softer, almost pleading voice added, We both know pronouncing the death is a formality. Can you just do me a favor and leave the funeral home now? It would seriously save me a few hours. I have a full shift tomorrow, and I'd really like to get as much rest as I can. I'm sure you can relate. The undertaker stood and stretched his back. She was right. If he left now, it would be a time saver. Besides, he was already awake. Yes, I can certainly relate. I'll get geared up and head out soon. Oh my God, thank you, said the relieved nurse. I'll meet you there. It must have been beautiful during the daytime, but all the undertaker could see during the long drive to the Jones residence was darkness. 
He drove cautiously, watching for deer and elk or anything else that might spring out in front of him. Since he was unfamiliar with his destination and the home bordered on a national forest, the undertaker took his time, not wanting to make a wrong turn on any of the many forest service roads, which would inevitably lead him deeper into the trees and perhaps cause him to become lost. Finally, he pulled up to the home, thankful to see a wheelchair ramp had been constructed at the front door. He loved it when homes had ramps. It made his job so much easier. The undertaker put the van in park, then walked up the front ramp, checking for any weak spots or warps in the wood as he went. He knocked softly on the door. Quiet footsteps growing louder padded toward him, and the door opened to reveal a brightly lit entry, and beyond that, a brightly lit living room. He could see the foot end of a hospital bed in a far corner, and again, felt thankful he wouldn't have to maneuver the cot down narrow hallways or around tight corners. Hi, I'm Kathy. We spoke a little while ago, said the woman at the door. Yes, hello. The nurse let the undertaker inside, but stood in his path so he couldn't go any further into the house. He peered over her shoulder and said, I left the funeral home as quickly as I could. I hope I didn't keep you waiting. How long have you been here? Kathy had a blank expression on her face. Long enough to know Mrs. Jones isn't dead. The undertaker chuckled out of surprise. What? The nurse bowed her head and said, Mrs. Jones is still alive. It was a false alarm. The undertaker's smile faded and he looked at the woman before him, her hands ringing and her face pinched in guilt. Her words couldn't come out fast enough as she tried to say all the things she expected him to say. I know, I know. I should have come and made sure before I called you out. I'm sorry. I had no reason not to believe him. She was in the process of dying yesterday. We're all in the process of dying, said the undertaker. What does that even mean? I mean, her vitals were dropping. She wasn't doing well at all. She's still not doing well, but she certainly isn't dead. Kathy looked over her shoulder to make sure Mr. Jones couldn't hear her. This has been really hard on him. I think he might be losing it. He thought she was dead. I mean, I did too when I got here but she still has a faint heartbeat. Kathy touched the undertaker's elbow. I'm really sorry. The undertaker gritted his teeth, but decided that getting angry at the nurse wouldn't help the situation. He was pretty sure from now on, she wouldn't just take a family member's word. Okay, well, does Mr. Jones need to speak to me for anything or any reason while I'm here? Does he have any questions? The nurse shook her head. He doesn't want to see you until it's time. That's kind of why I'm blocking your way in. She glanced toward the living room once more. You know, you could hang out in your car. I'm sure it won't be long before... But you were sure before. The undertaker tried to mask his frustration with humor and smiled. Are you sure of a lot of things? Kathy nodded and said, You're right. We never know. She could linger like this for days. We can't be sure about any of it. He pointed at her. Very true. With that, the undertaker turned around and walked back down the ramp and to his van. He started the engine and waited for the and for the briefest moment considered waiting. Really, how long could Mrs. Jones hang on? There was no way of knowing. Besides, he felt like a vulture waiting for his prey to die. He shifted the van into gear and steered out of the driveway. Great, he muttered. Now I'll never get back to sleep. The undertaker climbed the stairs to his bedroom, calculating how much sleep he would get if he could conk out right away. It wouldn't be much, but he knew to take whatever rest he could. He heard his wife talking to someone. She was using her funeral home voice, soft, understanding, sympathetic. 
that could only mean she was on the business line. He entered the bedroom just as she was hanging up the phone. She picked up a note and handed it to him. You have a death call, she said. His shoulders drooped a little. I figured that. He took the note from his wife. Where am I going? Apparently, right back to where you just came from. The undertaker cocked his head and he searched his wife's expression for anything that told him she was joking. You're not serious, are you? If you just came from the Joneses' residence, then yes, I'm serious. The undertaker threw his head back and let out a growl. Damn it, I should have just waited. He looked at his wife. She was crawling back under the covers. The nurse, Kathy, is she sure Mrs. Jones is dead? Because when I went out, she says she's sure this time. Told me to tell you there's no doubt about it. The undertaker's wife snuggled into a ball under the blankets and closed her eyes. The undertaker let out a deep sigh. Okay then, I'll see you later. Drive safely, the undertaker's wife mumbled sleepily. The van was still warm. He checked the gas gauge, wondering if he should fill up now or press his luck. He didn't want to keep Kathy or Mr. Jones waiting, but if he ran out of fuel, he'd be stranded. So the undertaker made a detour into town to top off the tank. Besides, he could make it to the Jones house faster this time. He knew the way. He'd been there before. (laughs) (laughs) And that, my friends, (laughs) is why someone in the medical profession pronounces you dead exactly although sometimes that's not even a sure bet yeah yeah because we know of somebody who uh a nursing home pronounced a death the undertaker went to get the person not you first of all not us but close to home pretty close to home yeah we'll say within a hundred mile radius okay that's vague enough that's vague enough yeah and um i mean that includes portland so, well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and Vancouver. And Vancouver, yep. So anyway, the undertaker went out, made the removal, uh, came back, put the cot into the prep room. Um, luckily, did not yet put the person in the cooler, uh, but went back to the office to do some, do a little bit of paperwork before they went back and heard a ruckus. <laughs> that damn ruckus. Heard a ruckus in the in the prep room, went to investigate, found out the person was still alive, called 911. So it does happen. Wow. Yeah. Wow. It does happen. So anyway. And this again was also a true story. Uh, Yep. True story. (laughs) True story. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Remember, be kind. Any day above ground is a good one. And finally, keep keep on breathing. breathing.